The fight against the anti-terror law started on the streets, but quickly moved to the Supreme Court. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The court is now in session. In the course of four months, the court heard arguments in nine grueling sessions. These ended without a resolution of the requests for injunction. It's status quo as the justices wait for the final position papers. The anti-terror law remains in effect, still feared, and still out to get government targets. Hello, I am Lian Buan and you are listening to the Law of the Terta Land podcast, where we discuss controversial policies of the executive, gaps in the law, and court decisions that shake long-standing principles in the legal profession. This episode is a recap of nine days of oral arguments on one of the most challenged law in recent history. And we begin with Captain Rhee. It seems like Justice Amy Lazaro Javier knows her K-drama. Because to make a point about the balance of personal freedoms and national security, she uses the fictional character in hit Korean drama, Crash Landing on You. I will tell you a story about Captain Rhee. Oh, yes, I know him, Your Honor. Really? Captain Rhee, Your Honor, yes. yes. An <clears throat> officer of the Armed Forces of the Philippines, do you know him? Oh no, I thought I didn't, Captain Rhee, Your Honor. <laughs> With posting at Metro Manila. Oh, All right. uh, different Captain Rhee. Today, he receives a call from an anonymous person informing him that an hour from now, five identified hospitals for children in different parts of the country will be blown up by two bombs planted in each of these hospitals. The one person who will detonate these bombs all at the same time, an hour from now, is an IT genius staying at a residential house on Raven Street inside the Blue Valley Executive Village in Cainta, Metro Manila. All he or she needs to do is touch something on his or her cell phone to cause the deadly explosion. At this very moment, that person is staying put in the, that residential house to synchronize his or her actions with his or her co-conspirators at the exact appointed time. My question, what do you think Captain Rhee should do after receiving the information? This question by Justice Javier is the law's fundamental existential issue. Terrorists are bad, no one disagrees. But how far would we sacrifice our civil liberties to help government catch the bad guys? Or more specifically, do we trust this government enough, or any government for that matter, to use its immense powers morally and ethically? The crux of this law, as they say, is Section 4 of the Definition of Terror. In the old Human Security Act, there were predicate crimes. Predicate crimes are common crimes like murder, rebellion, or arson. Those crimes must be established first. 
For these crimes to be considered as acts of terrorism, they should have terror qualities like sowing widespread fear. In Duterte's anti-terror law, there are no predicate crimes. The law consists of a lot of acts that sow fear, intimidate government, and provoke. This is Justice Rodil Zalameda on the vagueness of these words. Why Congress decided the use of the phrase to provoke and be different from the anti-terror measures of other jurisdictions, which use coerce, compel, and force the government. Do you know the wisdom of the Congress in doing so? What you will hear next is the answer for the government of Assistant Solicitor General Raymond Regudon. Not all terror, terrorist groups have concrete uh, political goals. Not all terrorist attacks are followed by a list of political demands. Therefore, uh, it may explain for the use of the word provoke instead of compel. Rigodon adds, when the Human Security Act used the same phrase or coercing the government into giving in to an unlawful demand, it made it hard for the government to file cases. He says, how do you sue a terrorist who does not make an unlawful demand? That is why, uh, instead of of uh, uh, including uh, including as purpose in the definition of terrorism, the requirement that there must be an unlawful demand against the government. Uh, the the Congress enumerated uh, um, purposes that are not as limiting as that under the Human Security Security Act, Your Honor. Here's Justice Zalameda's reaction to that. What I fear about is that the phrase provoke the government is so vague so as to include any kind of provocation. Another phrase in Section 4 is this. Terrorism is an act that intimidates the general public or a segment thereof. So Justice Benjamin Kagiwa asks, How many people can be considered a segment? What is the guideline for the policeman or soldier on the ground who will make the warrantless arrest? What is a segment of a population? Or what is a segment of the general public? Who determines that? The policeman? Yes, Your Honor. If, uh, because if he will effect uh, a warrantless arrest, Your Honor. So in other words, if two people are fighting, and in his mind that is a segment, I can, he can arrest the person for terrorism. Uh, two people are fighting. Two people are marching against uh, the government for redress of grievances. Is that not a segment? Justice Kagiwa doesn't quit in this line of questioning that by the end, the Assistant Solicitor General admits there's no standard for these vague phrases. Is there case law that defines or gives a definition on what an atmosphere of fear is all about? Uh, as far as Philippine law, none that I know of, Your Honor. Is there, is there case law that says uh, what a segment of the general public constitutes? Uh, none that I'm aware of, Your Honor. Is there jurisprudence that talks about Extensive interference, is there a definition of what makes an in interference extensive or not extensive? Uh, I'm not aware of any jurisprudence, Your Honor. 
If petitioners would have their way, the entire anti-terror law should be voided just for being vague. The Supreme Court calls on two amici curiae, or experts, to help them decide. One of them is former Chief Justice Renato Puno. Chief Justice Puno says, because of the presumption of constitutionality for all laws passed, there is a high standard to void an entire law just for overbreadth. The high standard is not met for this case, says Puno. But, I have also expressed my uh, constitutional concerns on uh, different provisions of the anti-terror law, on uh, the provision, on uh, designations, proscription, arrest without judicial warrants, on uh, surveillance, on uh, the right uh, to travel in other uh, areas. The provisions Puno mentioned are the most contentious clauses of the law, and they all have a common denominator. They seem to usurp judicial functions and hand these powers over to the Executive Anti-Terror Council, made up of cabinet members, or all the president's men. I do not want to preempt the, anti -ter the Anti-Terrorism Council because uh, uh, I have not seen yet the publication today or tomorrow, of the designation of several uh, persons connected with the CPP in PA. But we will do that. That is the voice of National Security Advisor Hermogenes Esperon Jr. on day 8 of the oral arguments, announcing a designation that came the day after. The Anti-Terror Council designates as terrorists 19 people, led by Communist Party of the Philippines founding chairman Joma Sison, and includes several peace consultants. We don't know what their evidence is. We don't know what process was followed. All the council had to do was issue a resolution that says they had found basis to say these people are terrorists because Section 25 of the law allows them to do that. But isn't that a court function? On day three, Justice Kagiwa points out it's as if the law created a shortcut so that government no longer sees the need to go through the court process of prescription, where there is trial and due process. Here's Justice Kagiwa interpolating the petitioner's counsel, Professor John Molo. Designation already achieves the purpose of prescription. That's another argument we raised in our petition, Your Honor, because the ATA makes it appear that the judges or the CA has a role. But in terms of effect, we actually created the table that you can reach all of your targets through designation instead of prescription. So there is really no incentive to go through prescription, Your Honor. It's faster and it's virtually, as pointed out by the Honorable Justice, it's the same. Section 29 allows a warrantless arrest of people whom law enforcers suspect are terrorists. The language of the law and even the implementing rules and regulations will tell you that the Anti-Terror Council authorizes the arrest, which again looks and sounds like a court function. Here's Justice Kagiwa. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it must be a duck. Throughout the oral arguments, the Office of the Solicitor General would repeat, 
warrantless arrest is allowed under the rules on criminal procedure. They are correct. Warrantless arrest is valid if the suspect is caught in the act, if the arresting agent has probable cause to believe that a crime has just been committed, and if the one arrested is a fugitive escaping from jail. But if that is so, why is the law written in such a way that it says the Anti-Terror Council or the ATC will have to authorize in writing the arrest without a judicial warrant? Here's the member in charge, Justice Rosemary Carandang, asking Assistant Solicitor General Marisa de la Cruz Galandines. If we look at the items there, it talks of personal knowledge. Yes, Your Honor. Ano naman ang personal knowledge ng ATC dito? Eh, ang nakakita dyan ay police, state agent, or a citizen. Why would ATC issue a warrantless arrest? Hindi naman siya nakakita. Your Honor, please, the ATC will not issue a warrant of arrest. Diba sila nag-i-issue niya ng detention? Ah, detention, yes. But the ATC... Yeah, warrantless arrest ng 29. Sino po mag-i-issue niya? Court ba? No, your the authority to detain for exactly, yes, diba? authority to detain is equivalent to authority to arrest. You will arrest before you detain. We respectfully disagree, Your Honor. That on day eight, Senior Associate Justice Estela Perlas Bernabe introduces a new K-drama character into the oral arguments, Mr. Cho from Vincenzo. Mr. Cho, for purposes of this theoretical question by Justice Bernabe, is a person designated by the government as a terrorist. Mr. Cho has a friend. Assuming that Cho, at the time of his arrest, was with a comrade who was carrying an unlicensed firearm, the police officers did not, however, have any further un- uh, uh, information on the affiliation of Cho's comrades at the time. Nevertheless, the police officers proceeded with the arrest of Cho's comrade for illegal possession of firearms. How long may Cho's comrade, comrade be in? Assistant Solicitor General Galandina says, 36 hours if there's no charge. This is what the revised penal code says. The anti-terror law allows the council to authorize up to 24 days. But Cho's friend is not a terrorist. He was merely caught with illegal firearms. Here's Attorney Galandines. He could be um, detained for 36 hours. But, Your Honor, may I just qualify my answer? If um, the law enforcement agents would, um, would, would be able to secure... Um, an authority from the ATC. This comrade could also be detained longer than 36 hours, Your Honor. But wait, says Justice Bernabe, the offense of Cho's friend is not terrorism. Notwithstanding that he is merely being prosecuted for illegal possession of firearms. Uh, we submit, Your Honor, that the fact that he was in, pos- in, the, in the possession of an Illegal, he is an illegal, illegal possession of firearms and he is with Mr. He is with Captain Ree, he is with Mr. Cho. Then the ATC may um, 
through an, uh, the ATC may issue an authority for his continued um, detention. After all, Your Honor, this may be necessary to prevent the commission of the graver crime of uh, terrorism. That, that is very dangerous. Under our laws, if you are charged with a non-bailable crime, oftentimes, you are detained for the entirety of your trial, unless you file a petition for bail and the court grants the petition. Many of the terror crimes under the law are non-bailable. Section 34 of the Anti-Terror Law says, even if you win a petition for bail, the government can still put you under house arrest. Incommunicado. Here's Justice Edgardo de los Santos on that issue. Does this not defeat the purpose of a bail? After all, the purpose of bail is only to secure an accused presence at trial. To reiterate the court's ruling in Padua, bail does not perform the function of preventing or licensing the commission of a crime. For the government, a restriction of liberty is a small price to pay, all in the name of the sacred national security. Here's Attorney Galandines. A small price to pay for what? For public safety. If the terrorists would be allowed to travel outside the, in, a, in an area where he would be outside the reach of law enforcement agents, then he might commit another act of terrorism and and uh, the state uh, obviously has the right to always ensure safety, the, the safety and security of its people. So his uh, limitation on right to travel is maybe submit a little inconvenience compared to the issue of national security and safety. To go back to a fundamental question, how much do we trust this government? or any government for that matter, to use these powers only for the good. Activists, both young and old, have zero trust. Under Duterte, 2,700 activists have been arrested, 1,090 have been detained, 1,205 have been searched, 114,499 have been harassed. That's according to the running tally of Greitz Group, Karapatan. Four peace consultants were designated as terrorists. A group of nuns has had their assets frozen for allegedly financing the New People's Army. They fear that all activists red-tagged as communists will become, in the government's eyes, terrorists. As Chief Justice Alexander Gismundo asked, Isn't this McCarthyism? The Chief Justice is referring to the communist witch hunt in the United States in the 1950s, where government openly tagged individuals as communists, even without basis. You will not agree that that is the situation that we have now in our country? Justice Marvik Leonin asks, What is so wrong with being a communist? Communism is not a crime in the Philippines. Not since 1992, when former President Fidel V. Ramos repealed the anti-subversion law. Why is it so wrong to be communist? Is it wrong to be communist? Ask the soldier, is it wrong to be communist? And your answer should be no. It should not be wrong to be communist. Every person is entitled to their political view. And to be communist does not mean CPP and PA. To be communist means 
you believe in the writings of Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto and the Communist International. The risk here, Justice Leonin says, is that the foot soldier would make this decision on his own. Is this person a communist? Is he a leftist? Does the foot soldier know what communism is? Porque meron kang libro na communist manifesto nagkamali yung foot soldier. That was the mistake. That is a risk in the implementation of the law, correct? I agree, Your Honor. So we weigh that in relation to buti na bang magkamali doon kaysa may bombang uh, mag-explode. Kapag nanay mo yan, pag nanay mo yon, kapag asawa mo yon, pag si Soljen Kalida yon, kasi alam ko mas mahal mo kaysa, kaysa sa kanila lahat yon, would you pull the lever? Becomes more difficult, right? And the way that we look at all of this is that all of them are parang statistic sila. Pero sa totoo lang, sa buhay ng tao, pag nakulong ka, kamag-anak mo nang sasaktan. Kamag-anak mo nang sasaktan. And all this becomes moot for them, academic for them. The constitution for them does not live. The constitution for them lives when the Supreme Court says, sorry, you're collateral damage. The government would tell you that all of these concerns, all of these fears, they're all in the petitioner's heads. They argue before the Supreme Court. These petitions have no legal standing. They have not suffered from the law. It's all speculative accusation, full of what-ifs. Retired Justice Francis Hardaleza, amicus curiae, agrees. Consistent with his advocacy to respect the hierarchy of courts, Hardaleza says when someone is arrested, charged, tried, or even convicted under the anti-terror law, that person should have his case tried in the proper lower courts, not the Supreme Court. Judges of the RTC and justices of the Court of Appeals are not only equipped to receive and ascertain the facts for this court, they also in their own right make constitutional law. I think it is time we start hearing them first by giving them the first crop at cases such as this. Solicitor General Jose Calida adds, it is a political question not covered by judicial review. It is the wisdom of Congress which made the law, and it's not for the justices to legislate. Justice Mario Lopez agrees. On day four, he asks Congressman Ed Silagman, one of the petitioners, didn't you already pass this law? Why are you here? Ang tinatanong ng ating kababayan, hindi po ba labag sa konstitusyon na kayo ay nag-submite nag, uh, nag ng inyong mga proposal, kayo ay nagbutuhan, hindi po ba labag sa separation of powers na kami ngayon ay dumudulog sa inyo at ngayon there is an extension of your uh, objection to the law before us. Kasi po, <clears throat> kayo na po ay uh, yung mayoria po ang nanalo. And sa ating konstitusyon, majority rules. Lagman, a key opposition figure at the House, tells the justice that Duterte's majority railroaded the measure. 
alam mo po, uh, Mr. Justice, kung kayo po ay nasa mababang kapulungan ngayon, uh, maintindihan po ninyo kung gaano kagarapal ang supermajority at hindi na nabibigyan ng uh, boses ang minority. On day one of the oral arguments, Petitioner's Counsel Chel Jokno of the Free Legal Assistance Group says, The anti-terror law is so broad and so vague, it punishes your mere thoughts. No other law makes the exercise of constitutional rights a crime when actuated by a certain intent. No other law empowers the state to arrest its people for exercising rights guaranteed by the Constitution based solely on a law enforcer's subjective opinion of their state of mind. The petitioners anchor their argument on this, that the sheer threat of the law to the freedom of speech makes a facial challenge valid, that it overcomes the need for actual legal standing. The Supreme Court finds itself in another tough corner. Does it go ahead and look into the merits of the petitions, potentially resulting in a partial decision where some provisions are repelled and some are voided? Will the justices make a bold move and strike out the entire law? It would be the first loss of Duterte if ever, and a very big loss at that. Or would they go for the swerve, be passive, and decide that the lack of legal standing of petitioners or the lack of authority to conduct a judicial review leaves them no choice but to junk all 37 petitions? This Supreme Court is currently carving out its place in history, and its decision on the anti-terror law would solidify where it would fall, and how it will be remembered for generations to come. I am Lian Buan. Thank you for listening. Follow us on our social media accounts for more news, videos, and podcasts. Listen to Rappler's podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever it is you get your podcasts.